can uh, grab your seat and open your Bible with me. We'll be in the Gospel of Luke in the first chapter, middle way, but we're going to start in a, we're going to orient ourselves with a couple other scriptures uh, to begin. Let me tell you what's going on here with the human coalition. See, you folks, we, as the leaders of the church get together, we decide and pray about and think about where we can uh, give back. And uh, you folks, as a, a church, heavily give to the Human Coalition to help pro-life moms have the baby, live, you know, live in an apartment, so we, we give financially to that. But in addition to that, on our Calvary Chapel Facebook page, where's Cindy, anyway, we were struggling to get the link put up. Every fall, we usually participate in the baby bottle campaign, where you take home a baby bottle, fill it with change, bring it back, and we give to the human coalition. But, you know, COVID. So they went virtual. So we can do baby bottle campaign, <laughs> but it's on our website, or it's on our Facebook page. And if you're not in our Facebook page, come see us afterwards, and we'll put you in there. And you can donate right there, as if you're donating your baby bottle money. Got it? That's what's going on. So uh, that's what we were talking about, and Cindy uh, has been working on that and got it up and running because there were some glitches uh, to it uh, on their end, and she did that, and it's up as of last night. She actually donated this morning to just see if it worked, and it worked. Uh, so what an important ministry, folks, and uh, we encourage you to go there. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to read a few scriptures, starting in Philippians 4, also in 2 Corinthians 4, maybe in Galatians 5. We're going to orient ourselves, and then we're going to start back in in the book of Luke. And here's what we're going to read. Can you imagine being Paul? Yeah, right. Well, you can because you have the Holy Spirit just like him. But you know what happened to Paul? Is Paul went from the society, you know, worldly society, all the way up here, and the rug is swept right up underneath him. And he goes from, you know, education and power and prestige and money. Whoom, the rug's just swept underneath him, and he did it willingly to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And he learned something. He learned that... Because of what we just did in communion and the reality that it represents, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, because of that, no circumstance could touch him, could touch his joy, could touch his uh, faith in Christ. No circumstance. In fact, the most insidious, awful, terrible, thing that the world or man could dish out, death, Jesus Christ conquered and says to us, I took the sting out of that for you. Therefore, you don't have to fear death anymore. So nothing that man could do to us could touch us. Here, look what Paul says in the book of Philippians. He says, Verse 10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, chapter 4, verse 10, 
that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Oh my. You think he just conjured up self-control here? No way. Not a chance. Not what this guy went through. Shipwrecks, beatings, even the worst. I can't imagine anything worse than this. Getting bit by a venomous viper. Oh, man. Whatever state I'm in, I'm content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. If I have little, I live with it. If I have a lot, I live with it. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he says this, in this context, folks, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? It's not conjuring up your own self-will. Of course, you participate with the Lord. It's the supernatural life that he infuses to us. He strengthens us. Praise the Lord. We should be jumping up and down even more than a Brown's loss. And then he says over in 2 Corinthians 4, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What treasure? The life of Christ itself. (laughs) Folks, I didn't know that for a long time. I thought Christianity was just be a good little boy. I didn't know you've relied upon the life of Christ. Here he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us, that people would see God, not us. Listen, even if we're hard-pressed on every side, crushed, boxed in, you ever felt boxed in with circumstances in life? Bills need to be paid, kids need to be fed, children need to go to college, children need surgeries. That happened in our life. But anyway, you're boxed in. We're hard-pressed on every side, not just a couple sides, every side, yet we're not crushed. We're perplexed. We don't understand everything. We don't understand everything. God, what are you up to? Well, he's God. We don't, we're, not, we're perplexed, but not in despair. We don't despair. We know he's in control. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. That could be a song. Oh, yeah, it is. Okay, struck down but not destroyed. Always, why, why, why? How could somebody come to that? Well, he gives you the answer. (laughs) We just celebrated it in communion. Because he, us, we always carry about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, but not just the dying. We're linked to him in his death, but also that the Life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. We live because he lives in us. He lives in and through us, folks. Somebody backstabbed me. My circumstances at work are terrible. Yeah, but we have Jesus. I mean, what could man do to us? He defeated death. He's even told us in Galatians 5, we won't go there, but in Galatians 5, that the fruit of the life that is inside of us is joy. Joy. We should be the most joyful people in all the world. I know there's tough things happening. I get it. 
I get it. But now you turn over to Luke. And guess what you see? You see people that are real with, listen to this, real problems. The writer here, Luke, on purpose is trying to tell you that each of these people have circumstances that aren't exactly perfect. What do you mean? Well, as we started looking at this, here's this priest. Can you imagine the roller coaster the priest is on? He gets his one big day in the sun for the year. Wow, I get to go serve at the temple, Zachariah said. And they rolled the, they cast the lots, and I'm even going to be able to be at the altar of incense inside the tent. It's going to be my big day. And in he goes, and he's supposed to get, you know, do the blessing after the prayer. And inside the prayer, an angel comes to him and said, Hey, your prayer was heard. What prayer? I haven't prayed that prayer in years. The prayer that you're going to have a son, and he's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. And because he didn't believe, you, you imagine where he could have gone off the rails here? Because he didn't believe, he made him deaf and dumb. Couldn't hear, couldn't speak. So he missed his big opportunity to come out of the temple and to pronounce the blessing from numbers on the people who were waiting for him after the prayer. You getting it? The ups and downs. I'm perfect in my career. I'm going to have a son. I get to tell my wife. Unbelief. You know what he could have done right there? He could have been bitter and not blessed. Well, God's promise came true for him, and we've been seeing that as his wife conceived and then Gabriel goes to this virgin who's betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph from the house of David, and her name was Mary. You know this story, but think about her. As the angel comes to her and says, you're the blessed, or blessed are you among women because the Lord is with you and you're going to have this Messiah. And she says, well, how's this going to happen? Because, and it wasn't a statement of unbelief. It was like, wow, how are you going to do that, Lord? I have never been with a man. Can you imagine what the townspeople must have been saying? Joseph, are you seriously going to go through with this? You're, you don't believe this, do you? And the, and the talking and the finger pointing and the behind the shadows talking, probably straight to their face. And yet she writes this Magnificat. She magnifies the Lord. That's what she does. Yes, she was full of grace, but it wasn't grace that was created by her. It was given to her by God because she was a sinner. She tells us so in chapter or verse 47. And she was blessed and she sings praises. Her circumstances didn't dictate, oh my gosh, what is everybody going to think of me? They're going to hate my Facebook page and do dislikes on my Instagram. You can't do dislikes, right? Good thing. Oh, man. <laughs> And so that's where we come to, and we, we stopped off here right about uh, verse 57, probably more towards 59, but we see in all these different characters here at the beginning of the story of Luke, joy exploding out of the pages for people who don't have perfect circumstances. And it's all because of the message of good tidings of the Messiah. <laughs> Doesn't that tell you something? Here this is, this Luke, this doctor, this one who took great pains to tell you in the verse, first four verses, I know classical Greek, that's what he knows. 
I'll write it for four verses because I just want you to know. Not because I'm bragging. Then he switches into the common Greek because his gospel is universal for the rich and for the poor, for the people who are popular and the outcasts, the ones who have friends all the time and those who are lonely, the kings and the lepers. It's open to all. The universal gospel, that's Luke. Man, Luke himself, what a study that is. You know what happens to us when we get knowledge, the Bible tells us, it tends to puff us up. Here, this guy's a studier, a medical doctor, a great historian. He took great pains here to write this, not as an eyewitness, but to go and interview the people who were eyewitnesses and record this thing. And he could have been really a highfalutin kind of self-righteous dude, and none of that appears for Luke. In the presence of Jesus himself, self-righteousness, folks, melts away. Now let that one sink in and go out on social media and look how Christians act. Christians. And here Luke doesn't do that. He, he opens it up to all. It says in verse 70, or 57, sorry, of chapter 1, Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered. And she brought forth a son. In other words, the promise was fulfilled. <laughs> she brought forth a son because she had been promised the son to be delivered. And when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her, which tells me something. Listen, folks, think about it. He's the great historian. He's the David McCullough of the Bible. Don't you guys like David McCullough? Read his books, man. They're amazing. Oh, somebody said no. Oh, my. He's from Pittsburgh, by the way. He's from Pittsburgh, right? All those great books. Oh, okay, all right, I'll stop. He's the great historian of the Bible. How do you think he knows this? Because he interviewed Zacharias and Elizabeth. Probably. Or Mary. And listen to what her neighbors did. You know, the temptation could have been, wow, can you believe how the Lord picked me? Me and my wife. Phew. I've been serving all these years. I've been doing so great. Of course the Lord picked me. I'm a priest. My wife's from the line of Aaron. Of course he picked me. But he, that's not what he's, they say. Their testimony was the mercy of God. They recognized whether or not, whether or not, you know, they were picked or they weren't picked. It was all determined by God's mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is withholding from us what we deserve. Mercy, withholding from us what we deserve. Withholding from us what we deserve there. So, that was their testimony. They had, listen, listen, they'd gone to their neighbors. They'd gone to their neighbors. And they told them, we got to tell you about the mercy of God. We've got to tell you about the mercy of God. And they made, listen to this, they made God famous. <laughs> listen, they made God famous, not themselves. 
They, they didn't make this candidate or that candidate famous. Nothing wrong with being in the political process. But what they did is when people looked at their lives, they knew who they believed. There was no question. Their neighbors and relatives heard. I wonder if our neighbors and relatives have heard. When you encounter Jesus, have your neighbors and relatives heard? Go to all, you know, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, but where do you start? Where do I start? How do I do this? Well, there you go. Neighbors and relatives. Just start sharing the Lord. You don't have to be weird about it. Just share the Lord. Just naturally supernatural. Great mercy. You want to hear about the mercy of God? Tell them what the word mercy means. And they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day. Why do they tell you the eighth day? That they came to circumcise the child. Because Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law. And his family did too. He had to. He's the lamb without blemish. We're counting on his righteousness for us to go to heaven. I hope his righteousness is righteous. Well, it is righteous. And he perfectly fulfilled the law. And they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. That's what they did at this point. But his mother answered and said, no, he's going to be called John. Why would she say that? Because in John 1.13, the angel told them, name it John. <laughs> what does John mean? Jehovah's gift or God is gracious. Of course, that's the name for them. So they do this, and they said to her, well, there's no one among your relatives who's called by this name, so they made signs to his father. That's why I don't think he could hear what he would have him called. And he asked for writing tablet and wrote saying his name is John. I want you to see something, by the way. Catch this now. What's faith? We don't have faith in faith. That's silly. We don't have faith in faith. We don't rev up our faith and say, man, look at my faith. I should get a Lexus. That's just silly. We have faith in God. Our faith is only as great as the object of our faith. And here, I want you to catch something. I would have said, well, here's probably what I would say, you know. Well, you know, I've been praying for a long time, and I, I think I heard the angel right, and so maybe the name we're going to call him probably John. No, 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 no. Something's happened to Zacharias. God has been uh, building his faith, but what on his promise to him through the angel, his name will be John, and he says his name is John. In other words, I'm never lonely. Of course you get lonely sometimes, but I'm never alone. What do you mean? Because God will never leave me nor forsake me. He never will. That's what the Bible says. You either believe the word of God or you believe your feelings. Zacharias here didn't believe his feelings or what he kind of, he believed the word of God. And he based his whole life on it. His name is John, so they all marveled. And immediately his mouth was opened. Look what faith does. It opens up the beauty and he could speak, and his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, praising God, not cursing God. Check it out. Can, guess what Zacharias could have said? How dare you not, be allow, not allow me to speak for all this time? People would say that, folks, to the Lord. 
How dare you, as I'm in the temple, my big day getting ready to come out, how dare you, Lord? I was going to go tell my wife straight away about the promise you made, and look what you did. You did this to me. That's what a lot of people in America say. That's how Christians live their lives. He didn't. He didn't curse. He praised. He, he had all the reason humanly to curse, to, to, bicker, uh, uh, to mumble, and to be bitter towards the Lord, but he didn't. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them. Whether like, whoa, what is this power? And all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. It was, became popular as they spread this around. And those who heard him kept them in their hearts saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. It's just, I'm going to just go back to it one more time. A lot of people right there would go, Yes, blessed is the Lord God of Israel, but how dare you make me not be able to speak? He doesn't. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. In other words, Lord, you've worked it all out. Everything you did was for my good, and I realize that. For he has visited and redeemed his people. What does redeem me? Set free by paying a price. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us. It wasn't his son who he's praying about right there. Are you catching that? Horn means strength in the Bible. And he's talking about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Here his son's about ready to be born or uh, is born and, or has been born. And he begins this song of praise. Do you see the joy that's flowing out of his life? Whether he did well in his occupation in the eyes of man or not. Whether he was, could talk or he couldn't, he's standing on the promises of God, and what comes out of him is a blessing, not a mumbling. And what he does, which is the ministry of his son, is give credit and uh, magnify and glorify Jesus, the horn of salvation for us, in the house of his servant David, because Jesus had to be from that line. At the line of David. And as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies. And one of our great enemies is death. And he even conquered that. The best. And from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers. In other words, what he's saying in this song is the stuff that's been prophesied for all these years, we've all been studying about, we've all been uh, listening to, we've all been reading about, we've all been memorizing about, we did it when we were little kids, all that stuff that we went through and did, it's all coming true in the one that my son is going to lay out the red carpet for, <laughs> pave the way for to perform the mercy and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. He focused on the Messiah. Now he's going to watch this, focus on his son. Can you imagine? <laughs> Giving deference to the baby that's going to be 
born through Mary and Joseph after you've been praying your whole life for this kid, this child. And he gives deference. And you, child, verse 76, you'll be called the prophet of the highest. That's John the Baptist. By the way, if you're new to the Bible, it's not John who wrote the gospel. This is John the Baptist. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Uh, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visit, visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Now let's look at this again. He's paving the way, catch it, for the first coming of Jesus Christ, right? His relative, by the way. It says Mary and Elizabeth were relatives, whether they were cousins or not, but they were relatives. So his relative, that's another one too, by the way. You imagine, you know, like, you know, cousin rivalry or brother rivalry, whatever. He knows he has this mission, and 76, listen, before the first coming, he said, you're going to be called the prophet of the Most Highest. You're going to speak of the highest one. Not yourself, you're gonna be speaking of the highest one. Folks, what are we to be doing before the second coming of Jesus Christ? <laughs> Just proclaiming the highest one. You're not proclaiming how many Bible studies you went to this year, how much money you stuck in the box, how many committees you served on, how many ladies you helped across the street early in the morning or late at night or whatever? You, how many tires you, you, you... That's not what you're proclaiming. We're to be people who proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ, the highest. Listen to this. For John the Baptist will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. He's going to go first. We're, in a sense, here now in this age before Jesus Christ comes back. And what are we doing? We're preparing people for his ways. We're speaking of the knowledge of salvation to his people. What do we do? We just share the gospel with them. God's word with people. Start talking God's word to people in the marketplaces. Do it. You can do it all the time. I say this all the time. You, you know how not to get in trouble at work? Of course, go to work and work, first of all. And be a great worker. Be a great worker. But when somebody comments to you, why don't you come out and party with us after work? Just say this simple phrase. You want to know? And if they say yes, they got to live with the answer. You got them. They asked me, why don't you cuss? You want to know? And then you just give them the gospel. It's not that difficult. You can... Do it in a really bold, gentle way all throughout your day, all wherever you go. You'll go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. John the Baptist was to give knowledge of salvation. And what was he preaching? Remission of sins. Your sins can be taken away if you'll move towards and surrender to the one who's coming. What do we proclaim before the second coming? Hopefully we just keep saying it. Apply the blood to your life. Surrender to the blood and the resurrection of Christ. Through the, well, how, how? Through the tender mercy of God. 
and just celebrate the fact that he's withholding from you what you deserve based on the blood with which the day spring from on high has visited us. That's the Messiah, the dawn. There's a great theme throughout the Bible that the, uh, the world is dark now, but there's a dawn. There's a dawning of a new day, and that new day is our Messiah. He has already dawned in our hearts, but he's coming again to this earth, and that will be a new day. And for anyone who surrenders their life to Christ, <laughs> it's a new day. <laughs> Folks, it's a new day. The darkness is gone. You've been translated from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light, the sun or the love of God's son. That's the kingdom you're in. That's the reality of who you are. Do you feel gloomy and dark? Well, tell yourself what's true of you by the blood of Christ. You're in his, the kingdom of his light, the love of his son. That's what's true. He's the day spring from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. Our country is overrun with darkness and depression. And the answer is Jesus, to guide our feet into the way of, here it comes, peace. Peace. We can have peace with God, Romans 5, and then we can have the peace of God, Philippians 4 tells us, but we must apply the blood in our life. (laughs) What do we do to apply the blood? Nothing. We just receive it. Receive and uh, repent and move towards the Lord. That's what we do. And then just rest in the fact that we've been saved by the blood. So the child grew and became strong in spirit. And was in the deserts to the day of his manifestation to Israel. (laughs) You ever see John the Baptist complaining because he was in the desert? You know where God trains his people? In the desert. He takes lots of these Old Testament characters. He took his son into the desert. You feel like you're in a dry place? Thirsty for the Lord? Fantastic. You're right where you need to be to be trained up as a soldier in the army of Christ. He's doing something with you in the wilderness. He's not punishing you. He takes all his people through those times. In the deserts till the day of his manifestation. But he had a time for ministry for him. And when it was time, he was manifested. And that'll happen for you. Just keep plugging into the Lord. Don't leave the fellowship of people. Don't be a Lone Ranger Christian. That's the worst thing you can do. The enemy just spirals around you until he just cuts you off from the group. Stay in fellowship and prayer and praise. And at the appropriate time, he'll manifest you to the world in your ministry. Well, it came to pass in those days that a decree goes out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Half the battle of the Bible, you know this, is just figuring out who the players are. I remember as a kid reading this going, where did these Romans come from? How, what? Nobody's telling me here. Where, Where do the Romans come from? That's because real history is happening as they're encountering these things. This one, Caesar's a title, his last name, or his name was Augustus. He's born with the name Octavian. How would you like to have that name? He was named after his father. How about this? His grandma was the 
sister of Julius Caesar. You heard of Julius Caesar? And he was talented, and he came to the attention of his uncle, and Julius Caesar eventually adopted this one, Octavian, as his son, and he was made the official heir in 45 BC. I'm trying to orient you to the time. And within a year, Caesar was murdered, and Octavian joined with two others. You ever heard of this one, Mark Anthony? And Lepidus, I guess is how you say it. And they split the domination of Rome three ways. And so for a long time, that Mediterranean world was violence and wars because it was cut in threes, and nobody could make good decisions, and they fought with each other, and it was bloody. And so it soon came to just Octavian and Antony. This is fascinating. And even though his sister marries Antony for 13 years, Octavian and Antony were rivals until 31 B.C. They had a great big... Uh, war, Anthony with the help of Cleopatra. That's these folks. That's who we're diving into right here. Cleopatra helps Anthony out. Octavius puts his massive warships and infantry and horsemen, and Octavian has this great strategy and ships that are more mobile, and he defeats the forces of Anthony and Queen Cleopatra at the Battle of Actium. I'm reading this. I don't remember this. So he, now, Octavian, was the sole ruler of the Roman world, and he takes the title Caesar Augustus, and that's who this is. Isn't that fascinating? There's real history here. So, this guy's not a bad guy in this sense. He moves the Roman world into the Pax Romana. You know what that is? relative peace of Rome. He got into the theory or the strategy that everywhere we dominate, we're going to keep the people in power who are in power in their own countries. We're going to let them do their thing. We're going to be the rulers. Of course, they'll pay taxes. We'll have some governors stationed out that way. As long as they keep the peace, nothing happens. Pay their taxes. We're all fine. If they don't, we'll come down so hard, they'll be destroyed. And that's what these people were doing at this time. And so the world was set up in a sense. People were looking for solutions and answers. And some even say, you know, looking for someone to save them from all this mess. The Pax Romana had this impact of the Jews and then others who were dominated by, by hating their oppressors. But what was interesting, there was relative peace so they could travel and do their thing and practice their religions and things like that. You get it? Okay, so it was the perfect time for the gospel to go out. There were even roads, all these roads that were made so that when we get to the book of Acts, they got places to travel to. Isn't that amazing? In other words, look, folks, your God is the God who could move empires. <laughs> he can even dictate the circumstances of empires to get his gospel out. Even when you think somebody's being dominant over you or dominant over us or whatever, he's working all of that out even for the good. And it goes where he wants a census to be taken while Quirinius is governing Syria. So they all go to be registered 
everyone to his own city. In other words, this guy, he didn't mess around. You get back to your city and take the census. And as long as you did it, no problem. Well, Joseph decides he's going to go back where he's from or is, is going to go back from his, where he's from. There's no indication, by the way, I want you to know this, that Mary needed to go. But she did go, probably because she couldn't stand the gossip, right? <laughs> and she didn't want to be without her man that she was betrothed to. But so she, she goes with him. And uh, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. It was time. That's not how I would have written that, but oh well. And <laughs> that's a joke. But anyway, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in torn, that's a word for torn, swaddling clothes. So many people believe these were death clothes the stuff you would wrap around a body. They had to just find something. And they were the torn pieces of clothes. And laid him in a manger. (laughs) Now the manger isn't some straw thing that's beautiful that has a star on the top that has light coming out from it. (laughs) It's not green and red and beautiful. A manger is a trough where cattle feed. He was laying in a slobbery trough. (laughs) Psalm 22 says, he became a worm for us. He stepped out of the heavens (laughs) to become a baby. Like, you know what babies need? Diapers changed and fed. And they didn't lay him in that bassinet you got at Pottery Barn. They laid him in a slobbery trough. It's just almost, it's everything against my human nature. If I was going to announce the Messiah of the world, I would have stuck him in the most cosmopolitan city, in the best room at the best hotel, and told CNN and Fox, okay, I got both sides, and uh, have them all come, I have, have them all come, And I'd publicize it, man. And here he has him come uh, in a slobbery trough in a place called Bethlehem because there was not even any room for him in the hotel. Wow. And there are people running around. They're running up and down middle school rooms. They're in your offices. They're uh, at your extracurricular events that you go to, whether you're a parent or a kid. And they believe the lie that they don't matter. And here, he came out of heaven to live in a trough for you and for me. Now, in that same country, Of all the occupations you would pick, doctor, think the writer here is a doctor. If you were God, you know, give him to the broadcast journalist or the number one color commentator, you know, whatever, news anchor. God decides he's going to announce all of this through the lowest occupation. (laughs) 
the stinky shepherds. The ones who are out with the sheep all the time, living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Many people believe, and if you go there, you'll see how close it is that in the hills there, these shepherds were the ones who kept the temple lambs, the temple sheep, the ones who were then taken to the temple and sacrificed, which was really interesting. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. You know, the glory of the Lord is so awesome. I'm not so sure. I said this this morning. Maybe it does, but we talk so much about the American, in the American church about the love of God, and we should. I mean, he is. He's love. But we shy away from the holiness of God. We don't want to hear that so much. Because when we come up against the holiness of God, it shows us who we are. And here, the shepherds are like, whoa. They were afraid. They knew they didn't have what it takes. And don't we? Actually, in Matthew 5.25, do you know it says, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, agree with your adversary. When your accuser says to you, man, you're a dirty, rotten sinner, you know what you say? <laughs> you're right. You don't even know the half of it. The glory of God is awesome and holy, and they were afraid. And then the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for I bring you the good news, the gospel of great joy. <laughs> Here's exploding off the page. Shepherds out in the field at night, stinky, never get to go to the big parties and do all the fun stuff. They got to be out there with the sheep, keeping for the temple. No, they don't get the glory. Other people get the glory. They don't even, no one even says thanks to them. But the angel said, don't be afraid, for I'm going to bring you the gospel, and you're going to have great joy. And your occupation is stinks. Who here complains about their job? Well, praise the Lord you have that job. And I got to tell you, if the Lord doesn't send you into that place, who will he send? You're there for a reason, folks. Yes, if you want to get your resume together and find another job, and the Lord does that, great. But while you're there, you give them a gospel. Here he says, the worst job you could be, they're filled with joy. Why? Because they've encountered now the Messiah, which will be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You're going to find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, these death clothes. <laughs> what? And he's going to be lying in the slobbery trough, okay? You're not going to be able to miss him. <laughs> and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God, the angels, and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, well, let's now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Let's go find him. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And now when they had seen him, look at this. They made widely known. You, you can't shut up about the Lord. <laughs> if the Lord has uh, 
invaded your heart, if he's called you and you've responded to that call, and now the Holy Spirit of God has come to live in your life, you've become a new creation, joy now becomes your testimony. The grace of God and joy becomes your testimony. And it doesn't even matter what circumstance. Oh, you ruined my big day at work? No problem. Oh, wait a second. You gave me a crappy job? No problem. Oh, wait a minute, you dashed my hopes and dreams for 20 and 30 years? <laughs> yeah, Lord, but you were working it out all for the good. Oh, you have people talking behind my back, my husband and I's back? No problem. My, uh, my sufficiency is in you. I'll never complain, Lord. Because I've learned how to, in all circumstances, whether I have a lot or whether I don't have anything, just to be content in you. You see it? And here it comes splashing off the page. It's just leaping off the page at us, this joy. What they did was, because of all of that testimony, even in this short little time, look what they did. They made it widely known. I wonder how wide I've made it known in my life about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have all my life I just kept it here? Or have I made maybe just a little pebble? But you know when you were a kid, what did you love to do? Oh, I'm walking. You know what you'd do? you do? Remember when you were down by the creek or the, the lake, you'd get that big rock, and you wanted to hear that spelunk. You know what I'm talking about? Where you'd throw that thing in there, and that'd be that kapoom. And then, or, or when you're diving, you love to do that jackknife, and the thing goes way up in the air. I wonder if I've just made beep or kaplunk. Have I made him widely known? The only reason I would make him widely known is because I know what he's done for me, and then I want to share it with all of you. I'll even take the reviling and praise the Lord if that happens. That's what Jesus said we'd do. That's what he says new creations do in his Sermon on the Mount. And all those who heard it were marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all things and pondered them in their heart. How do you think Luke knows that? because he interviewed her. <laughs> you see? She pondered these things in her heart. Wow, this is wild. The shepherds? And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. When you have an encounter with Jesus, and he comes to live in your life, and then you make him widely known, listen to this, people are going to know that Jesus is a, uh, the one who glorifies the Father. People will be praising God because they know Jesus is the way to God. You understand that? So when you're out in your communities and doing the things and sharing the gospel, they're not going to say things like, although she is, man, Jan's such a nice girl. She is a nice girl, and she's wonderful. They're they going to say, she loves the Lord. They might not even agree with her, but my goodness, she loves the Lord. Or whoever, each one of you, each one of you. That's what you want them to say. Not you're a nice person. That's idol worship. You're worshiping yourself. You love it, right? Come on, keep talking, keep talking, keep talking, right? No, that the Lord would be glorified through Jesus Christ for all things they had heard and seen as it was told them. And when eight days were completed, because he needed to uh, be in compliance, here's my plug for Bible college, with the Leviticus 12.3 about circumcision. See how the Leviticus is so important? All right. And when the eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angels before he was conceived in the womb. Yahweh is salvation. 
the God-man, Jesus Christ. Look at this. Of course he kept the law, but you know what else he did? He, IDs with, he identifies with sinners. He does what they do. I have news for you, folks. He didn't need to get baptized, but he did because he wanted to identify with me and you. He didn't need to get circumcised, but he did because he wanted to identify with me and you. You see it? Now, when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed because she had just had a baby, they're adhering to the law. They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it was written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. There you go. Old Testament. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. And here you go again. Leviticus, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Leviticus 12, 2 or 8. These two, Mary and Joseph. Did I say Mary and John earlier? Anyway, Mary and Joseph were not rich. How do I know? Because they gave the sacrifice that the lesser economic people would give. A bird. Turtle doves or young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for who? The consolation of Israel. Waiting for who? The consolation of Israel, the Messiah. He was waiting for uh, the Messiah. And if you go back to verse 65... Remember, all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. The things that John the Baptist and his family were going through and pointing to, they were discussed all throughout Judea. And now, here's this old gentleman, Simeon. Is this a beautiful thing? This man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. You know what he could have been saying? Lord, 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 I prayed about this last week. (laughs) You don't care about me. You didn't answer my prayer. It's been years. Anybody else ever said that? He didn't say that. And this Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't see death before he had seen the Lord's uh, Christ. In other words, the Lord spoke to him. It was his word. So he came by the Spirit. I wrote in my Bible, he's sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. Actually, I just wrote sensitive. Don't think I wrote all of that, but... Right? He's sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. Are you? Are you sensitive? Are you walking according to the Spirit? Or are you walking according to the flesh? Genesis, or excuse me, Galatians tells us to walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh and to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, which is based in His Word. And here he comes by the Spirit because God had told him. And the Spirit led him, and when the parents brought in Jesus, Christ Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, look, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. The one who's been impacted by the Lord, they're not a complainer because they're old and they've been praying, and you told me you would give me this prayer. You told me that the Lord would come. And No, no what they do is when they encounter Jesus, they take him up in his arms and adore him. In a sense, of course, Jesus adores us. But Lord, Simeon says, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles, not just the Jews, to the Gentiles. It's the universal gospel. Dr. Luke says, kings and lepers, we all can come. 
and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. Then, how, how did he know that? Well, because he interviewed her. Have I said that a few times? And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. You wonder what that means? Well, just look at Peter and Judas. One fell, one rose, which is interesting because Peter fell a lot, but he just kept trusting. So the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, this is the one, this old man. He didn't complain. He just gobbled up the Messiah and adored him. He was okay and praising the Lord for the Lord's plan. And here, we'll finish with this one. And there was one, Anna, a prophetess. We don't know why she was a prophetess. Maybe just because of this thing that she spoke. She was the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, and she was of a great age. You talk about somebody that could be bitter, folks. <laughs> Lord, I've served you my whole life. Why did my husband die? She'd lived with a husband seven years from her virginity, and this woman was a widow of about 80, 84 years. But she was smart. Because, see, when people think they've been let down by God, guess what they do? They stop going to church. Man, I'll get him back. But here she's smart. She's, man, man, I am hurting. I'm sad about what happened. But I love the Lord, and he loves me. And so you know what I'll do? I'll just stay right there where the Lord is. I'll just stay right there. I'll keep going. I'll, even when I don't humanly feel like it, I'll keep going, and I'll keep serving, and I'll keep loving, and I'll keep praising, and I'll keep seeking him. And all these times, I'll just keep doing it. And I know he'll heal my hurts. He doesn't, she didn't depart from the temple, but she served God with fasting and prayers night and day. Well, Lord, I'm not as talented as this person. I can't play the drums. I don't know how to speak so well. What would I do? You would be here for the prayer meeting, interceding for people and praying for the people of God. Day and night she was here and coming in that instant she gave. Listen to this. This is astounding to me. I just got to say, if I was in her position, whew, Lord help me. But she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Now here, I'll close with this. Listen to this. What I've been trying to show you here today is that it doesn't matter about your circumstance when you're filled with God. Not when you're a poser Christian. When you're an external Christian trying to do all the rules, you get some sort of bad circumstance, it's over. It was all a house of cards. I've lived that way. It's terrible. 
But when the Lord comes into your life and you have, listen, a real encounter, not that you know about him, but you start to know him. You get a glimpse of him when you know about him. Check this out. These people lived, no matter the hurts or the failures or the successes, it didn't matter. Joy was pulsing in and out of their life because they had Christ himself. And I don't know if you noticed this, but one of the great things about each one of these people is they couldn't stop blabbing in the right way. They couldn't stop talking about him. Just what the Lord had done for them. And I encourage you, listen, you don't have to be a theological wizard to tell them what the Lord's done for you. You're the only person that knows what the Lord's done for you. And, you know, somebody will ask you, well, does this, you know, why didn't this character in the Bible have, you know, a belly button? Or what about the aborigines in the rainforest? You say, I don't know, but this thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. That's it. And it's me. And he's done it for me. And he'll do it for you if you'll just surrender your life to Christ. And you can live above the circumstances of life. You know that? All of you. Not just some of you. Not some super Christians. Each one of you who here who've surrendered your life to Christ, you can live above the circumstances. So if it's in the toilet or, in the, or on the mountain, it doesn't matter because you're up here filled with joy and peace and strength, even as you have to come down here and do human things. But your mind is set on things above, not on things of this world. And so when you see a bill's not getting paid, you're saying, well, Lord, what are you teaching me here? What's happening? I know the bill's not getting paid, but I know you love me. I know that for sure. So what is this going on here, Lord? You have a way different perspective. And you can keep praising, and you can keep sharing God's love. So I challenge you here this week. Here's what I challenge you with. You're going to say, well, he wants me to go out and share the gospel. Well, yeah, that's probably true, but that's not my challenge. My challenge would be for all of you, each one of you, that you would spend time alone with the Lord, getting resource and strength for the day and the week. And I'm convinced if we would move aside our schedules and make him first, where we meet with him first, we commune with him first for the whole day and for the whole week, we won't be able to help but sharing the gospel all week long and living with joy. Let's pray. Okay, guys, I'm sorry I went over, so we're going to have to pray, and uh, we've got some game watchers here that are giving me the time look, so... Let's pray, but uh, wow, Lord, thank you so much for your word. (laughs) Lord, we've heard this story before, but it never fails to do its work in our hearts. It's really amazing, Lord, that you had this one, this doctor, write this book under the inspiration of the Spirit to tell us about the joy that comes with serving Christ. Not a manufactured joy or an external joy, but a settled peace in our hearts that brings out joy. Thank you for that, Lord. And as we move forward this week, Lord, help us in all the things that we do and go to and to talk to people about their lives and how you, Lord, are the answer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.